0: As I documented in my recent article about the battle for the beginning and the origin of the earth, I recently had the opportunity to travel with a group of Christian leaders on a trip organized by Answers in Genesis to study the rock layers and fossil records in the Grand Canyon. We covered nearly 200 miles of the Colorado River in the seven-day journey, and what we witnessed points to the reliability of Scripture. Now, we do not need fossils and rocks to confirm that the Bible is true, but it's really important to connect the dots from the evidence of general revelation to the truth of special revelation contained in the pages of the Bible. The Grand Canyon is one of the greatest tourist attractions in the United States of America. People travel from all around the world every year to look deep down into the vast canyon from the rim, to walk the trails, to capture that epic sunset picture with the splendid colors of the evening sunlight reflecting on the rock layers. According to the National Geographic Society, the Grand Canyon is the product of evolution. They date the Grand Canyon between 5 and 70 million years. But if you go to the National Park Service, they date the Grand Canyon between 5 and 6 million years. Now the point is clear. The common story about the formation of the Grand Canyon is rooted in the theory of evolution. However, the Grand Canyon itself tells you a different story. According to the rock layers and the fossil records, the Grand Canyon is much younger. Have you ever driven into someone's concrete driveway in their home and seen the cracks? Sometimes this happens with the foundation of a home as well. The reason for this is the soft deposits of soil that sink under the weight and pressure of the driveway or the house. To be clear, the hard concrete does not bend, it breaks. And the same exact thing is true with regard to the rock layers on planet Earth. They do not bend, they break. In 2017, Dr. Andrew Snelling, a Christian geologist, embarked on a quest to secure permits enabling the collection of samples for a comprehensive study concerning specific rock strata within the Grand Canyon. His endeavor centered on investigating well-established strata, notably the monument bend section, where substantial rock layers manifest apparent bends, some approaching nearly 90 degrees. His aim was to study these formations to see whether indications of intense heat and pressure had altered the materials of the rocks resulting in their bend. The only other explanation would point to, the, to a catastrophic event shortly after soft sediments were deposited from the global flood. To achieve this, he planned to procure samples from diverse locations, generating a control sample for comprehensive analysis. The rock samples obtained from the bend would be subjected to a meticulous scientific methodology of study unveiling the intricate history of their formation. The Grand Canyon National Park rejected Dr. Snelling's permit request. So he went through the necessary applications again, only to be denied a second time. Now he started to suspect that this was based on religious bias. And so he secured a legal counsel from the attorneys associated with the Alliance of Defending Freedom. They filed a lawsuit against the Grand Canyon National Park, challenging the validity of the application rejections and called into question internal email correspondence exchanged among the staff. And during the legal proceedings, these emails were brought to light demonstrating that the rejection of Dr. Snelling's research permits was indeed motivated by an anti-Christian bias regarding his Christian faith. Consequently, Dr. Snelling was granted the permits, which allowed him to engage in his research project. The process itself is profoundly labor-intensive, demanding substantial effort to access precise locations along the Colorado River with the necessary tools that are essential for scaling ledges and retrieving samples. But after the samples were collected, The post-sample research phase also consumed a considerable amount of time and effort. Nonetheless, the study culminated with a clear documentation and evidence dispelling the notion that the deformations in the Grand Canyon's rock strata, these bends, were not caused by immense pressure and heat. Instead, the only reasonable explanation was that during a global flood event, swift deposits of soft sediment layers occurred, and a hypothesis corroborated by fossil records. Immediately after the waters receded from the global flood, a cataclysmic event, likely an earthquake, led to a significant fault line shift. This geological catastrophe caused a large expansive lake formation near the modern-day rim of the Grand Canyon to channel through the broken dam, reforming and causing massive swift erosion of soft sediment layers, quickly carving out a colossal canyon. This transformation process eventually facilitated the Colorado River's adoption of the path of least resistance through the canyon walls. This story does not fit with the typical evolutionary theory of the Colorado River carving out the massive Grand Canyon, but it is clearly documented by Scripture and verified by evidence in the Grand Canyon itself. Did you know that you can find shellfish fossils in the Himalayas? How would that be possible since the mountain range consists of 110 peaks rising to elevations of more than 29,000 feet above sea level? One of those peaks is Mount Everest. The only serious answer to such a question is based on the record of the global flood as recorded in Genesis. One of the best places to study such evidence of the global flood is within the exposed walls and rock layers of the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon rock ledges span hundreds of miles through desert region and are more than one mile above sea level, yet within these walls and canyons and rock layers are deposits of many sea creatures that never lived in the Colorado River below. They once lived in the ocean, but were fossilized in the rocks for us to see even to this very day. So how did this happen? Well, first we must admit that the formation of a fossil is unique. In order for a fossil to take place, it must undergo a swift burial that prevents a total decaying process of bones and preserves the animal from the elements which would speed up the decaying process. In addition, this burial also conceals the animal from other wildlife and scavengers that would otherwise consume the meat and scatter the bones. To have such a large number of fossils in the rock layers is indicative of swift burial that occurred at a cataclysmic event. We must face the reality that sponges and squid and other sea-dwelling fish never once lived in the Colorado River. The theory of the river cutting away the rock layers over millions of years simply doesn't hold up to the massive amount of evidence in the rock layers below. While the fossil records contradict the evolutionary story often told about the Grand Canyon, they do not explain what actually happened. But we do have a record of the event that does provide us with the explanation in the book of Genesis. When the floodwaters recorded in Genesis rose to an extent that covered the highest peaks on planet Earth, it was catastrophic. It reformed the continents, killed people, plants, and animals, and was massively destructive. Put far away from your mind the pictures of a boat with smiling animals and giraffes poking their head out of a window from Noah's Ark on a nice little boat ride. What the world experienced will never be experienced again. After all, it was the judgment of our sovereign God. This is the only explanation that can demonstrate the swift flowing currents of water that moved fish from the sea into what is today a desert region and deposited these marine fish into the sediment that would, over time, harden into rock and preserve the fossil records. When I left the Colorado River and made my journey home, I found myself on an overnight flight from Phoenix, Arizona to Atlanta, Georgia. When I sat down in my seat on the airplane, the gentleman next to me wanted to talk. I wasn't really in the mood, but I engaged him with answers as he peppered me with all sorts of questions about why it was that I had been for the last week in Arizona. I explained to him that I had been with a group of Christians going through the Grand Canyon to study the rock layers and fossils over about 200 miles of the Colorado River. He began to talk to me about growing up in the desert and often visiting the Grand Canyon and he asked me what was the most unique thing that I had seen on my journey over the last week and I was able to point to him the many fish and the fossilized record of these marine animals that are preserved in the rock layers beneath the Grand Canyon. He said, yeah, I've heard about that before. And I said, well, you want to know why that's so interesting to me? And he said, why? And I said, because the majority of those fossilized fish I saw this week once lived in the ocean. They never lived in the Colorado River in the canyon. So how did those sea creatures get into the middle of the desert? He said, you know, that's a good point. And I said, the answer is clearly recorded for us in the book of Genesis. It was at that point that my talkative friend from Arizona wanted to get some sleep. May the Lord continue to open up people's eyes to the truth about what Genesis says about God's wrath, a global flood, and the fact that the age of the earth is not billions of years old, The flood matters because it demonstrates the reality of God's wrath, but it also provides us a wealth of evidence in the aftermath proving that the common evolutionary story is simply not true.